Hello everyone and welcome to episode one of Tripping While Walking, a laid-back podcast that takes a deep dive into industry shifts and aims to understand how current environments may shape the way things have traditionally been seen or done. Today's episode focuses on inclusivity in the luxury industry. As this is the first episode of a very rudimentary and basic podcast, I thought it might behoove the audience and loyal fans to get a little background on the seemingly random title. Pay attention because I won't be going to this spiel every time. So, tripping while walking. Well, literally it would mean just that. While walking, there is a bump or a crack in the sidewalk that causes a person walking to trip. Not so much to the point that they actually fall or face plan or cause a scene, but merely just a little blip that is embarrassing in the moment just for the person who tripped or the group that they're walking with. So, what does this have to do with analyzing consumer trends or businesses? Well, I'll give you a second to connect the dots. Got it? Good. <laughs> well, yeah, it's really just analyzing and trying to understand different changes in the way society operates or interacts amongst itself or with businesses and just see how these little cracks or bumps cause the entire industry or subsectors of it to, well, trip. So anyways, that's what this is. Just understanding and trying to make sense of little changes in the consumer sector and what they mean in the moment and or going forward. Every good journey needs a roadmap. So in today's episode, we're going to start off first with a discussion on how the industry was built before and why, and then move into what trends emerge yeah emerge and how society has morphed into what it is today within this discussion on the industry today we'll understand how these points of inclusivity is no longer a differentiation factor but rather a basic necessity by looking into some case studies in which inclusivity has helped some brands and other cases in which it has hurt those who failed to adopt and what's a post-pandemic conversation without a reference to 2020 So, we will also discuss how 2020 accelerated certain trends and disrupted the expected trajectory of the way luxury brands thought about branding. And finally, we'll wrap it up with some projections of what the luxury industry might look like going forward. So, stop number one, how it was before. Luxury has traditionally been built on the premise of exclusivity. We know the brands like Gucci, Prada, Louis Vuitton, and we don't know those brands because we see their storefronts on every corner or even in your local mall. We know those brands because we only see celebrities wear it on TV or a shiny storefront on Rodeo Drive in LA or Park Avenue in New York City. These stores have created a brand value around being hard to access and creating an exclusive community around, if you know, you know. No surprise that there has been extensive research on the psychology behind why people buy luxury goods and why being harder to purchase can actually help certain brands to sell more. The main conclusion and kind of wrapped up summary is that people attach emotional value to the purchases that they make, especially the big ones. So when they buy something hard to purchase, they feel a certain feeling of accomplishment and belonging. A seemingly odd way to search for inclusiveness you know, in an exclusive industry. But in all honesty, how long was this going to last? Traditionally, it was a very top-down approach. The designers and creators worked together amongst themselves to curate that season's looks and styles and then gave it to the public. There was no back and forth, but rather excitement in letting the brands themselves dictate the hot new in fashions. 
There was very little access behind the curtains to see what was actually going on with these companies, including how they decided the styles, what factors went into them deciding that and that season's style. That's all related to the ideation of the products. That's not even including the actual manufacturing and creation of it. We just knew that the Maisons handled the handcrafting, but from there, your guess was as good as a person who already pre-ordered the latest Prada handbag. So now we find ourselves in a brand new era of the industry in which new societal developments and types of shopping experiences are forcing the industry to change, specifically DTC. DTC is challenging this traditional notion by bringing accessibility and transparency to the luxury sector. So a little side path on our roadmap here to talk a little bit about DTC. I believe DTC, direct-to-consumer, has now become somewhat of a buzzword for transparency and deserves a little bit of background. Traditionally, businesses have been B2B, business-to-business, which basically means that the business that these companies sell their products to are the actual customers, and the consumers who use it are the users, two separate distinctions. It makes the selling model a little bit more complicated because it adds a middleman that can potentially dilute information, connections, and obviously margins. Obviously, there are cases where the B2B model is imperative, like the automobile industry. If you want to directly buy your parts and build that Nissan Pilot, be my guest. But generally, the value out of the middleman in this industry is a wee bit higher than, let's say, Sephora selling a skincare product that you could have bought online or at that product's own store. Anyways, that's a little context for why DTC is disrupting the luxury industry. Because with options of selling right to the consumer, the other more traditional selling channels start to seem a little more convoluted. So, there are three main impacts that this modern era of luxury has brought to this industry. One, Luxury brands now have to authentically connect with their end buyer, whether that's through question and answer sessions, maybe Instagram live sessions, or teams dedicated to surveying the public and communicating with influencers. Two, companies must utilize this consumer feedback to actively develop and iterate on their current products to offer the customers what they are looking to buy. We're not as mentioned, in an age where artists and designers can just create whatever they want and release it and just label it as elite and luxury and just assume that people are going to eat it up. Now, creators and elitists have to take the diversity of their consumer base into account when thinking about their products. So, for example, we're very different from the 19th and 20th century. We're in a time where if sneakers are in style, then luxury brands have to add sneakers to their product line. And the third impact, transparency and expertise. Consumers want to know the value of what they're buying and not be kept in the dark. They want to be educated and well-informed because people nowadays know that exorbitant prices don't equal savvy or luxury or even quality at this point. Consumers have the internet now, so they're able to do more research. It's not just about the actual product, but also what the company itself represents. There's so much so much out there that consumers can do their own research and understand what they're buying so that they're buying more than just the products but into the actual company as well. So, pit stop number two, what is it now? As we know now, things are not the same, um, a little different. Companies are starting to recognize that there are new trends and 
monumental shifts and realizing that it's now becoming a license to operate in the space rather than a marketing gimmick or a way to make yourself stand out. Inclusivity is very much needed. So what does this mean for the way companies embrace and go about inclusivity? Well, first, what, inclusi- what does inclusivity look like in the luxury industry right now? Inclusivity specifically. Well, one, representation of all body types. Dolce & Gabbana was the first luxury brand to release a line for, quote, curvy women of sizes going up to 50. And in 2018, the LVMH group announced that they will no longer be hiring dangerously thin models. Models must now be at least a size 2 or be at least 16 years old. There's also the representation of gender fluidity, as we've seen in the, let's say, Gucci, the Futurist Fluid campaign. We're also seeing representation of all races, such as the new Fenty makeup line to include darker skins and shade diversity for all colors. Another way that companies are going about embracing inclusivity is they're making this the deliberate age of diversity. The the thing is that nowadays all parts of the company are on display. When you buy from a company, as I've said before, you don't only buy their product, but you're buying into that company. You're representing that company and what they stand for and how they go about things. And a common misconception is that Diversity isn't always about just needing more minorities or women or different races. It's about mixing idea generation and just being able to encourage people to have these conversations and just diversity of thinking and just different backgrounds to bring about new viewpoints or different ideologies or just different ways to think about the same thing and be able to have these productive conversations. So a way this has been successful is Ralph Lauren. Ralph Lauren has diversity councils embedded at every level of the company to offer diversity advice to every level from recruitment to product design. In 2018, at the 50th anniversary show, Ralph Lauren placed a heavy emphasis on having the models represent diversity and inclusion to convey a message of beauty, but not impossible beauty. This was a beauty that you could relate to, that you could understand, that you could see yourself, you know, wearing the same clothes making the high-end or luxury industry seem more inviting rather than a different and unattainable world. But just like some companies are doing well this embrace, some are not doing so well, such as Dolce & Gabbana and Reeboks. You might have heard, but Dolce & Gabbana had a very controversial ad in China recently of a Chinese woman having difficulty eating Italian food with chopsticks. This is sort of an issue and really did hurt the brand as, well, there's something called brand health rating track ratings tracking so brand health is for those who are not very attuned into the industry is an average of six dimensions of consumer sentiment towards a brand with the highest score being 100 and zero meaning means equal or equal negative and positive feedback so sort of like a a zero-sum game so it was at about a 3.3 before the ad released in 2018 and went to about negative 11 by the time the founders apologized about three to four days later even though they took down the ad about 24 hours after it being released the lack of diversity is also posing as a business hindrance in terms of new deal origination and pipelines as well in early april in 2019 beyonce was looking for a collaboration and was in talks with Reeboks until an in-person pitch meeting in which the Reeboks team severely lacked diversity in that 
pitch team or deal team. So she ultimately went with Adidas. So these are two examples of an instance in which companies have been able to proactively and well adapt and incorporate inclusivity in this new emerging trend in some cases in which they were not so successful. So as we know, this past year has been, buzzword alert, abnormal. So it's interesting to think of how this past year might affect these evolving trends that we just discussed. So let's think about how 2020 to 2021 impacted these trends. Well, for one, it hyper-accelerated this need for inclusivity. Super cold take that this past year has had multiple different factors that forced companies to start reevaluating their strategy and operations. We've had the Black Lives Matter movement, heightened time at home leading to the glam of luxury brands being stripped away from the actual product or company, and instead being replaced by a focus on brand value, ingredients, manufacturing, product conditions, etc., And on a consumer sentiment level, people no longer felt the societal pressure of being in the spotlight and the exorbitant prices being a necessity to feel glamorous for a few seconds and then later no longer seeming worth it because realistically there were no more parties or galas to go to. So this caused a major halt or trip in the way that consumers perceive these brands, which then caused a ripple effect for these companies to pivot. Another big trend is the polarization of U.S. income, or polarizing economics. The polarization of U.S. employment and wage growth has seeped into how companies are thinking about products and manufacturing, with the middle section now being hollowed out. So polarization of these income levels is actually driving consumer and retail successes and failures to both ends of the spectrum. So on one end, you've got your luxury good makers and high-end restaurants and retailers and boutiques, etc. But then on the other end, you've got value-driven markets and mass market retailers that provide and focus on value. This is causing major subsectors of the luxury industry to either pick a side or find an ally to help them fit into one of these buckets, which has actually also increased and heightened M&A activity within the consumer retail section, where bigger companies are looking to scoop up smaller companies that either can't stay competitive or could benefit and have synergies amongst the bigger and smaller companies to help the bigger companies expand into new demographics. So now we've, you know, taken our pit stops, gone to the bathroom, got some gummy snacks, and we're rounding about at the last turn in our journey, going forward. So what does this mean for the luxury industry going forward? I mean, now with inclusivity, being at the forefront of people's minds, people having the internet and information at the touch of their fingertips to be able to look up company funding series rounds in the past and different news articles and even places that talk about how they treat their employees or how what type of vacation days the employees get. With all this out in the world, how is that going to impact the way that companies have to think about how they operate themselves? That's one side of things. And then On the second side of things is also the actual product offerings that they give. If this is now becoming a dynamic conversation, how can companies stay proactive with making sure that they are able to have this dialogue with consumers and then iterate accordingly? So going forward, I have mm, about two, I guess you call them hypotheses. One, I'm thinking that maybe the principle of what is considered valuable 
could change going forward, which honestly might blend the spectrum of what is considered to be on one end of luxury goods and on the other end of valuable goods. If that was to change, how will companies be able to pick a side and then be able to really focus in on that channel and make sure to seize that market share demographic? And will that lead to heightened M&A activity across industries or across product offerings to where mega companies or meta, mega product offering conglomerates offer valuable goods as well as high-end luxury goods? I don't know. That could be something. And the second thing I think is that transparency and availability are now what luxury brands have to do to survive. So... What will they turn to to create these distinctions now or make themselves stand out? I, I think one hypothesis could be that companies will take this a step further and use this simplicity of ingredients to actually create complexity of product. So I, I know that a lot of these companies are already coming about where they are branding themselves as the more medical side of things, so like skincare companies and personal care companies and makeup brands. They're now starting to tell you and showcase you that the ingredients are well-sourced and they're simple and they might be, you know, have very clear chemical bases, but they've been curated for... No, well, not in a simple way. Like they're a complicated product using simple ingredients. And if I mean, just off the top of my head, I've, Dr. Barbara Sturm is a great example of just one of those companies that's up and coming. So I guess this will be an interesting trend to watch and see how that evolves over the next few months to a year to see how these companies are able to react to these shifting trends and be able to make themselves competitive in this very transparent and inclusive world. Uh, So that's all I've got on today's episode, and thanks, everybody, for making it to the end. Um, Hopefully the next few will be a little bit more elaborate and clean, but stay tuned.